Yeah, the reading today is from Jonah. We're going to start at the last verse of um, Jonah 3 and then the rest of chapter 4, um, page 775. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Please keep your Bibles open. Thank you. Um, yeah, so thank you for this um, opportunity actually to uh, come and, and look at God's word with you guys. Um, yeah, I hope that um, we'll all be really encouraged by, by what God has to say to us today. Um, yeah, as, as we heard in the reading today, um, we're going to be looking at Jonah's reaction to that wonderful event that happened at the end of chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, we see that that God turns from his judgment and he relents and he doesn't destroy Nineveh. And today, we're going to look at Jonah's reaction to that. So let's pray as we start. Lord God, thank you so much for your words that you've given us. And thank you for this uh, chapter of Jonah. And Lord, as, as we look at it today, would you help us to come with soft hearts, with teachable spirits, 
And please speak to us from your words. And please help us to respond to what you say to us. Amen. Well, have you ever met someone who was just fundamentally unsuited to their job? Like, they really want the job and they, they might try really hard. But no matter how hard they try, they're just kind of the wrong fit for the job. Imagine, uh, like, a fireman. A fireman who's a cowardly fireman. Their job is to run into burning buildings. Or um, a lifeguard who can't swim. Or uh, a mean-spirited counsellor. Or even uh, a fashion designer who's blind. You see, Jonah is a bit like that. A prophet is someone who represents God to people. And someone who represents God should be like God. Someone who speaks God's words should have a heart like God's. But Jonah's basically the opposite of that. Jonah is callous and he, he fled from God's calling on his life. He fled from God himself. And by the end of chapter 3, it looks like God, that Jonah might have come a long way. It looks like um, his fear of God seems to be a reality rather than a fiction. Um, he finally obeys God's command to go to the Ninevites. And he even faithfully proclaims that message which God had given him. But in this final chapter, in a, in a sad twist, we see that really Jonah's heart is still far from God. He is callous and he is selfish. And there's no one so fundamentally unsuited for their job as Jonah. We're going to see that Jonah is, is angry because he's self-righteous and he's selfish. But God shows mercy because he's compassionate and he has pity. So we're going to divide the chapter into two. Um, there's going to be Jonah, angry and self-interested. The prophet who resents. And then the second part. God, compassionate and merciful. The God who relents. And as we explore um, the heart of God and Jonah, we're going to see the contrast between God's goodness and Jonah's sin. And when we do that, we are naturally drawn to consider our own hearts. The, the, the stakes are higher than just whether we're nice people or not. Um, ultimately, it's about whether we've truly understood the gospel. It's about whether we've understood our position before God and gone to him for mercy. Do we rejoice when sinners are saved? Or are we more like Jonah than we like to admit? What's more important to us? Saving people from hell or our comfort? So firstly then, Jonah, the prophet 
who resents. So as we saw, chapter 3 finishes with this miraculous rescue of the city of Nineveh. The people have repented and God is not going to bring this destruction on Nineveh that he promised. What relief they would have felt. They've been uh, waiting for 40 days, fearing this terrible judgment that God is going to send on them and destroy them. And then when that dreaded day finally comes, God forgives them. Imagine the celebrations in the streets as people dance and sing and everyone shares the good news that God's judgment is not coming. But what are we told of Jonah's response? Angry, angry, angry. Look down at verse 1. We're told that this miraculous rescue of a city displeased Jonah exceedingly. Exceedingly. You know, that's the same word that was used in chapter 1 to describe the sailors when it said they feared exceedingly. They were exceedingly afraid. In fact, Jonah is so angry by this that in verse 3, he says he would rather die than live with this anger. Can you imagine being this angry? I don't know, some of you have children, so maybe you can understand. Um, But, you know, being this angry when there's something to justify it is one thing. Can you imagine being this angry over the salvation of a city? Something that ought to bring joy? What could possibly explain this? Well, we get the first part of an answer in verse 2. Verse 2 says, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. See, Jonah says, I knew this would happen, God. He he basically accuses God of wasting his time. Why did you make me go through that whole journey and all of that just to come here and then they were gonna, you're just going to forgive them, God? Jonah cares more about his time and in his mind his wasted journey than he cares about the entire city of those souls. What an appalling level of selfishness is that? But it's it's not just selfishness that we see here. It's also self-righteousness. Jonah finds God's mercy on the Ninevites actively offensive. He even throws God's own goodness back in his face like an insult. He says, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love 
and relenting from disaster. Jonah is a Scrooge. He's hating the very thing that the rest of us love. But instead of Scrooge, who hates Christmas and wants everyone to be miserable, Jonah hates God's grace and he wants everyone to be punished. But why would Jonah not want God to forgive them? Well, the answer is self-righteousness. Jonah has no empathy for these people because he has labelled them as them. He divides the world into us and them and the Ninevites are them. And we all do it, don't we? We often divide the world into good and bad. Jonah thinks that he belongs on the good side with God. And he thinks the Ninevites deserve judgment. So Jonah is offended by God's mercy on the Ninevites. Because he thinks that bad people don't deserve forgiveness. And and Jonah is conveniently overlooking his recent incident with the fish. He's forgotten that he too is deserving of God's judgment. And we're in danger of thinking like Jonah too, aren't we? Now, as as someone who's soon going to be living in a very different country, a very different culture, the sins of that culture are probably going to be more obvious to me than my own. And I'm going to have to battle the temptation to label everyone as them. When we encounter obvious wickedness in our life, whether it's on the news like the Taliban recently, or even just in everyday life when um, someone betrays us or someone steals from us, we can wish, can't we, like Jonah, for judgment to come on those people. We are tempted to think that because we aren't as bad as they are, Somehow we're on the good side with God. But the reality is that we are sinners, just as deserving of judgment, in desperate need of God's mercy. God alone is good and righteous and holy. The second explanation for Jonah's anger comes when God sends the plant. And then when God soon takes away that plant, after just a day, Jonah has this explosion of fresh anger. But his his entire complaint essentially boils down to, God, how dare you take away my comfort? Jonah is like a small child. He's like a small child having a tantrum. You know how a little child can get so wound up and angry over something little or unimportant? So furious. And sometimes it can be hard to stifle a laugh, can't it? You know, maybe it's... um, They're not allowed to eat the entire pack of biscuits. 
And so they stamp their feet and they get furious and angry. That's Jonah. Jonah is like a child having a tantrum. He's having this tantrum over just a little plant. And he values the feeling of cool and shade that this plant gave him over the souls of 120,000 people. That's what verse 11 says. There are more than 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. Sometimes we can act a bit like Jonah in this way too. When we prefer to spend our money on luxuries, on things that we really enjoy or make us feel nice. Rather than spending that money on on supporting mission or on um, helping the genuinely poor and needy people around us. And just like Jonah, that, that focus and prioritization of our own comfort is it's our selfishness coming to the fore. So so Jonah's anger in this chapter is explained by his self-righteousness and his selfishness. And then when God confronts him about this anger, like in verse 4, Do you do well to be angry, the Lord said. Jonah then goes and sits outside the city to watch the destruction of hundreds of thousands of people with some kind of morbid fascination. There there are a few things which could be as, as inappropriate or repulsive as a doctor who likes to watch people die. But in Jonah here, we have a prophet who wants to watch souls perish. Jonah is the prophet who resents Secondly, the Lord, the God who relents. We've just seen what Jonah's heart is like, haven't we? So now let's take a look at the Lord's heart. Jonah is is bitter, callous, short-tempered and self-righteous. But God... Is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. The contrast is, is really stark, isn't it? God is utterly unlike Jonah. And how wonderful is it that we have a God like this? You know, you will not find a God like ours in any of the other religions in the world. For example, in Islam, there is Allah whose supremacy and transcendence is emphasised, but at the expense of things like love and mercy. But in, in Exodus 34, when God passed in front of Moses... And proclaimed and described himself to Moses. What were the things that were at the core of his being? 
he said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. As we read Jonah 4, it's, it's almost like the author is choosing to use Jonah's words ironically. Because in light of the story this author has just told us, no matter Jonah's intention to insult or dishonour God, all we can see is God's goodness. God is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is relenting from disaster. In fact, we don't just have a God who sometimes happens to relent. We have a God for whom relenting is right at the core of who God is. It's a defining part of his character. Relenting is what God tends to do. In fact, relenting is what God delights to do. Yes, our our God is holy, absolutely uncompromisingly holy. But what does he love most? He loves seeing sinners come to him and repent. Our God is a God of mercy and compassion. See, Jonah wanted judgment, but God wants mercy. Not only is God merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love, but as we see from Jonah's lesson with the plant, God pities. Look at verse 10 and 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labour, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So God explains to Jonah that the reason he wanted Nineveh to repent and hear the message and be saved is because he pities them. Even even someone as callous and selfish as Jonah pitied a plant which he had nothing to do with, a plant that only lasted a single day. How much more so will the God who is love pity a city of 120,000 souls? Souls that he created and knows completely. God does not watch in morbid fascination as Jonah does. When people are perishing, our God acts. He saves God had compassion on the people of Nineveh and he pitied them. And so he relented from that disaster that he said would come. The Lord is the God who relents. (laughs) 
What we're left with then is, is this startling contrast between Jonah's bitter selfishness and God's compassion and mercy. And, and these two questions naturally follow. What would a prophet be like who was like God rather than like Jonah? And secondly, who am I more like, God or Jonah? And in, in answer to the first question, praise God, there is a prophet like that. There is a man who possessed all of the compassion and mercy of God. Who, unlike Jonah, put nothing above his own comfort. In fact, he willingly walked to a torturous death for us. His name is Jesus. Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And when we look at Jesus, we see all of that divine compassion and mercy incarnate. Jesus never fails to look on the helpless and the lost with pity. He never fleed from difficulty, but obeyed God perfectly, even unto death. He's not eager to watch people self-destruct, but he's always desperate for the sinner to turn and find salvation. Jesus, unlike Jonah, is the man perfectly suited to his job. If you're here this afternoon and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then be amazed at God's mercy. Be in awe of his goodness. He is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. If you will repent and come to Jesus, then you can have absolute confidence that he will forgive you. And he will pity you just as he pitied the Ninevites. He made you and he wants you to be saved from destruction. Now, as to the second question, who are we more like? Are we more like God or are we more like Jonah? Well, if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we'll all agree we're more like Jonah, aren't we? But the problem is that that we often don't feel like it. We may not be as extreme as Jonah is, but ultimately the attitude of our hearts is the same. Don't we often prioritise our time and our comfort above the needs of the lost? In fact, doesn't it irritate us, um, just like Jonah, when we know that God is asking us to give up our time, our comfort. I I, I feel like I have a right to those things. I feel like I have a right to my time, my comfort. And if God seems to want me to give those things up, then I get offended. When we look inside our hearts, it's, it's often hard to find compassion or pity for the loss, like, like Jesus had. 
If we can't get excited by other people receiving undeserved forgiveness, then that probably reveals that we think we're good. We think that we don't deserve judgment. And we don't need forgiveness just as much. And there is a real danger here. Because an attitude like Jonah's could mean that we haven't accepted the gospel of God's grace. Now, if we're followers of Jesus, then some of his compassion and mercy ought to be growing in us. We are still sinners, and so it will only be a weak shadow of his. But if we share none of his compassion and mercy, if we aren't even trying to put aside our selfishness and our comfort, then can we really say that we know him, that we follow him? We may talk the talk, we may regularly attend church, and we may even be baptised. But do we know Jesus Are we becoming more like him? And I'm I'm obviously not suggesting that we can be perfect. But we should see some evidence of his changing of our hearts. Of his growing in our hearts of compassion and mercy like he had. Now for those of us who call ourselves Christians, there are a few practical applications that we can think about in light of the passage. Realistically, we know, don't we, that we do still have hearts a bit like Jonah. And that most of the time, we we rarely demonstrate the compassion and mercy of God. But when we see ourselves as sinners saved by grace, and when we look frequently at the cross of Jesus then we will find our our hearts change and we will have compassion and love towards others rather than selfishness. Repentance should be a regular part of the Christian life. We can be regularly repenting of our Jonah-like hearts and we can be asking God for forgiveness with the full confidence that he will have mercy on us. And not condemn us. We can also be daily reminding ourselves of what Jesus was like. Of how he endured the cross for us. How he was willing to give up all of his time to the lost and the broken hearted. And how he was willing to give up all of his comfort and to suffer. As we behold Jesus, our wonderful Saviour, we will be strengthened to follow his example and put our self-interest and that idolatry of comfort to death. What what are some of the ways that we can do that? How can we be putting that idolatry of comfort to death? Well, we could share the gospel with an unpleasant colleague. Perhaps we could have those awkward conversations at a family gathering. 
Maybe even there's a new church plant in town. And it would mean having to, to move jobs, to move house, even change schools. And it's all very inconvenient. But if our priorities are God's priorities, if we really value souls above comfort, wouldn't that be a small price to pay? So these are just a few ways that we can be putting our idolatry of comfort to death. Um, But we're going to need God's help with that. Um, So why don't we pray as we finish. Father God, um, thank you so much for what we see of you in Jonah chapter 4. Lord, thank you so much that you are such a gracious and merciful and compassionate God. And we love you for it, Lord. And and thank you for the challenging um, example that Jonah is, Lord. And and we ask for your forgiveness when we're acting and and, um, feeling like Jonah. And we pray that you would help us to change. That you would be at work in our hearts and helping us to have more of the compassion and grace and pity that you have. And please help us, Lord, to look for ways in our lives where we can be practically applying that and and doing things differently. Amen.